0: It's time to check in with Doc Rob and the Concierge for Better Living. We take a real, raw, inside look at healthier living while sharing great ideas and improvements for a better quality of life. The Concierge for Better Living will help informed, intrigued, and interested listeners like you make better choices for yourselves and your loved ones. CannabisRadio.com proudly presents the concierge for better living with your host, Doc
1: Rob. Hello and good day. This is Dr. Rob Streisfeld. Doc Rob, your concierge to better living here at CannabisRadio.com and many other platforms. Wonderful to have you with us again today. It's another beautiful day out. And, uh, you know, as they say, we have to make the best of it regardless of the circumstances. That's how we work here together to have today better than yesterday, and hopefully tomorrow better than today. And with that, I'm very excited again to have another show to to present and a wonderful guest today. And we're talking about, you know, when I wrote my book, The Cannabis Conundrum, and I took perspectives from different uh, experts and professionals in categories, lawyers, investors, and physicians, and caregivers. And I always had this intention of expanding this uh, into a series of books. And one of those uh, specific, you know, Books was gonna be the global perspective. And I and I think that's important, and not just about cannabis, but about drugs in general. And so it's really wonderful today to have my guest, Alexei Hoopley. Uh, Alexei is currently finishing his PhD thesis in sociology at the University of Tampere in Finland. Um, his PhD work is focused on practices and policies around human enhancement drug use, especially cognitive enhancement drugs with u- from user perspectives. And I love the first-person user perspectives and how we look at all these different compounds uh, and how they're affecting us on a, on a physical and spiritual mental level. So it's great to have you today, Alexei. Thanks for joining us on the show. Thanks for having me. Very excited to be here. Yeah, it's definitely my background. I'm, I, as much as you don't know about me, I'm a cultural anthropologist. I study cultures throughout time, some sociology, some philosophies, some religion. And it's always interesting to see how these compounds are, I want to put my finger quotes up, drugs are per, you know, perceived in different parts of the world. I would say everything from different parts of the world. You read a history book, you know, from, from Germany or the UK at a different period of time versus what you read in the US. But, you know... It's it's wonderful you're tuning in today from Amsterdam, which for those in the cannabis world, it's a, it's a mecca and otherwise, you know, from a drug experience as well. So it's great to have you on. And um, thanks for joining us today on the show. Um, yeah, man, I don't even know where to begin. There's so much cool stuff to talk about. Uh, but let's talk about, you know, again, how did you get into that specific field of study, studying drug use perspective, especially from that, like I said, that first person user perspective?
2: Right, I mean I've I've been studying sociology for over 10 years and I actually started doing a bit of uh, drug policy issues in my bachelor's and master's thesis back in back in the day but that was looking more at the political discourse around a a report that came out uh, by the Finnish government that was looking into sort of enforced treatment of pregnant women with substance abuse disorders and that's sort of a was kind of in the in the media around that time as well and i and I did a master thesis on that and I came then to Amsterdam to study medical anthropology and I wanted to look at okay if this is the situation in Finland which is known um, to be quite harsh when it comes to drug policy I mean all Nordic countries are very very progressive in almost all other areas of social policy, but then they're still ha- hold on to this very drug war kind of mentality uh, then so then I came to Amsterdam and like, okay, what's what's the situation here uh, in Amsterdam in the Netherlands, which is sort of the other end of the spectrum. And um, but unfortunately, I don't actually even know yet how they deal with you know pregnant women with substance <laughs> abuse disorders because I sort of had this uh, epiphany on one of the first lectures where they there was a concept called chemical enhancement, and then I started thinking about oh, there's this sort of other side of drugs and drug policy which never really get discussed with just the benefits and the you know right. the good side of, of it. And then that sort of got me into this
1: nice. uh,
2: path of now finishing my sociology PhD on the topic.
1: Yeah. It, it's very interesting, especially when you say pregnant women, one of the first things that I, as a physician, I'm a naturopathic doctor, um, which, you know, kind of gives me this perspective of how the body works, but also how the mind works and how people work as a, yeah. you know, system. And like, so when I did some research, let's say, going all the way back to cannabis, you know, um, uh, the research done with pregnant women in Jamaica back yeah. in, the, in the 70s, sponsored or supported by Nixon, didn't yield the results he wanted, which is drugs are bad or will harm your kids. So they dismissed the whole research. But it showed that in many cases, as a cultural utilization, these pregnant women or mother nursing women, when they use this product in their way, didn't seem to have a negative effect. Actually, many children tested higher IQ and socially capable than those that did not use the plan. So.
2: Yeah, and I mean, like, alcohol is, of course, the most damaging of them all, and it's very easy to easy to get, and then, I guess, sort of focusing on that area was sort of, okay, there's intended effects of policy, but then the, the actual effects, because, I mean, if you had that kind of law, then maybe women that get pregnant would not even come to their neonatal care anymore, they right. would be afraid to talk about their, if they have any issues with any kind of drug use, And uh, so it would have, indeed, sort of counter-effect of what it's trying to achieve, which is, would be indeed, you know, good fetal health and good, good health for the
1: women's as well. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. We take, I think there's a shift occurring now, at least here. I hope, um, growing up i grew up 10 minutes from where woodstock happened in 69 and i think the neighbors the community there was had a different openness to drugs and experimentation there wasn't really any violence or anything majorly bad happened with that huge event you know unplanned event but you look at different perspectives in all ages of life you know, we talk about pregnant women and how that's perceived if a mom it's okay you know, oh don't use alcohol but uh, maybe cannabis could be beneficial to a degree if used you know certain ways or um But even with adults, I mentioned before, I have cousins uh, that live in Holland, you know, in in the Netherlands, and a little younger than me, but two boys, two brothers. And we joke growing up about the perspective from the U.S. to, you know, the Dutch perspective about drugs. And for me, partying in South Beach growing up and crazy days and, you know, let's say ecstasy was being brought in from Holland, you know, Amsterdam to Miami – there he said, oh, when we get drugs, we get it, we can get it tested by the government. If it's clean, if it's pure, go ahead, be safe And, and, and versus having us in the States having to go some shady alleyway, buy it from some stranger for, you know, not knowing what we're taking, what's a better way, right? It's education, support programs, things of that nature versus what we've had is this, like you said, war on drug, this regulation, this control, this criminalization, this in our country, especially filling the prisons for nonviolent drug offenders, you know, it's pretty crazy. We have to shift that perspective to the education and support model much more.
2: Yeah. And it's weird for me coming, I mean, living here for eight years almost and then going back to Finland where things are still kind of stuck in that mentality. Like they tried to get test pill testing or drug checking off the ground as well, but they couldn't get over the legal barrier, which is like when the, person gives the drugs to the who is ever testing it, then the person testing them could be charged for possession, which is like ridiculous. Right. It's like, <laughs> come on, can you just get over that?
1: Yeah, well, then like countries mentality. like Portugal, you know, Portugal not too far away, did the experiment where let's legalize it and try to create those support programs. And I think they've seen quite a success story overall. It's not perfect. There's nothing perfect no. about this situation. We're all individuals. We all have our challenges. But I mean, they saw a uh, uh, a benefit to more of that legalization and support program. And I think we're seeing a little bit of that in the States. We're seeing uh, just even this week, Ann Arbor, Michigan just decriminalized, uh, I think, I don't know, all, but psychedelics in the sense of, I think, mushrooms yeah. and maybe uh, peyote as well. But these animal or not animal, these plant based or fungal based compounds that come from nature, anything can be abused, but when used appropriately through educated and therapeutic guidance, I think. I know, forget about I think, I know we could have a better society and a better perspective on how these substances can be, benefit us as a whole, not just detriment us, but benefit us.
2: Yeah, things are definitely changing. I mean, even here in the Netherlands, they're now starting an experiment with legal cannabis being produced for the coffee shops And in Finland. It's also quite historical. There was a citizens initiative that managed to collect over 50,000 signatures to have at least a parliament to debate about decriminalization decriminalization of cannabis for adults and small-scale self-grow. But um we'll see. They're handing it out in early November to the parliament, and then they need to at least debate about it. Nothing's really set in stone that they will go ahead and approve it. But there are some political parties in the government, for instance, the Green Party, uh, that have said, like, okay, we shouldn't decriminalize just cannabis. We should decriminalize all of them. And they just had a party meeting, and they were sort of thinking about legalizing cannabis as well and properly but they didn't really have the courage, I guess, to take that final step yet, but it's, it's getting there slowly, yeah. but it's
1: <laughs> slow, but steady progress for sure. We see that. I think, you know, like you said early that the Nordic countries, I think we're influenced a lot by American policy and the war on drugs and drugs Definitely. are bad and all this stuff. And I think countries are starting to wake up to realize they were, they were, they were fooled a little bit in this sense. They were kind of, you know, misguided. And I think now, countries through better research i mean even psychedelics lsd research has been 30 40 years in europe in certain countries finland i think there's one of the most famous lsd researchers Um, so there's a lot of um i think it's one of those nordic countries to be honest i'm not sure 100 of it's finished but um the bottom line is is it's not new we're not finding these substances out today and saying what are they we've known about them for so long now it's how to reintroduce them uh, in, integrity, with integrity and ethically and, and responsibly into society and how we can make those shifts. Um, I love it. I think we're just, like I said, progress. It's it's a it's a journey uphill battle, but we're making progress. So we're going to take a quick break. I'm going to talk some more. I want to get into microdosing and some other things you're looking at. Uh, after this quick break, we're here with Alexi Hoopley. This is Doc Robbier, Concierge of Better Living on Canvas Radio. We'll be right back at this break.
0: The Concierge for Better Living will continue in a moment. It's time to reset, only on Cannabis Radio. Hey, take a look at this. They're selling smart pots. <laughs> they have pot that can make you smart? Where is it? Not that kind of pot. Smart pots are the best aeration container to grow your plants. Check this out. garden centers throughout North America and ask for the original fabric container. Find a store near you or order yours online at smartpots.com. Let's check back in with Doc Rob and the concierge for better living, only on CannabisRadio.com.
1: All right, all right, we are back. The second segment of today's show, the Lexi Hoopy calling in today from Amsterdam. And I said, I am a little envious. Um, you know, it's so many good things about just traveling in general and exploring different parts of the world. And, you know, I think that I've had a great pleasure of so much more that I want to do. Um, And there's different things to experiment with, you know, and again, I say that with responsibility. People are traveling to South America to experiment with shamans and ayahuasca. That was how this started to uh, unfold in that category. And then now I hear, like, there's hundreds of ayahuasca ceremonies basically daily in California. And, you know, you wonder, is that the ideal way to take this substance? Is it, you know, is it meant to be consumed this way? Is that connection to the spiritual world and your healing path? You know, is it received the same way when you're, you know, in those settings versus in an isolated, shamanistic, you know, supported role or even medically health professionally guided therapeutic role? I think there's a lot of, you know, learning curve. I guess we all have to kind of go on with this perspective.
2: Yeah. And I mean, I'm not sure if the, it's if the best way is to at least, I mean, currently it's hard to travel anywhere. Um, but right. like, <laughs> do, do we need to go to the Amazon to have ayahuasca? experiences necessarily because I mean like I think even Europeans in North America of course had their peyote traditions that go centuries Uh, so I think it's more about not necessarily taking something that's somewhere else but try to build the culture around it with the modern tools that we have now and I mean I think every every culture every nation has their probably their history with these plants and Mm -hmm. fungi it's just been sort of taking out from 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 our sort of a common memory
1: yeah it's interesting you know we talk about perspectives and i mean you know i have to say america is always more as better attitude you know the supersized mentality you know but i mean I have this thing with microdosing and certain concentrations of compounds. You know, there's a whole thing about there's so many animals, not even humans, animals that consume psychedelics. Um, You know, there's jaguars that, you know, have been known to eat ayahuasca and elephants to get drunk on fermented fruits. And, you know, it's so crazy in a cool way, you know, uh, reindeer. And and I got to go to one of my... uh, People, the doctors that I look to is Dr. Courtney's. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Dr. William and Kristen Courtney. They push a lot about, not push, they educate and support a lot about raw juicing and and the compounds found in raw cannabis specifically. And I say that because right now we're seeing this resurgence in microdosing LSD, psilocybin, you know, even ketamine in small doses and things of that nature, and I want to go back to, hey, why aren't we talking more about microdosing cannabis and cannabinoids? It's so easy for everyone to concentrate them and make them a thousand times more potent to a wax or a hash or something like that. But what, from a perspective culturally, you know, we're animals. Would it not make sense to explore the use of this plant in its natural, unadulterated form? And this is something that I'm personally passionate about, but I'm curious in your journeys and your studies, has this been brought up on the, from the European perspective too much?
2: I mean, I agree that less less is more sometimes, and I, I think microdosing cannabis would be a very interesting field to look into. Um, I just sort of wrote a little piece for a Dutch Open Foundation that's having a the interdisciplinary conference on psychedelic research starting tomorrow. Actually, uh, it's a webinar because of uh, because of the current situation. Uh, but microdosing cannabis could be interesting because I mean, maybe we just need that really small amount of active substance, and that would be enough. And I mean, that can also take a lot of the arguments away from the other side, especially with psychedelics, which usually has been used in these quite high doses, uh, which even at that point is not very detrimental for at least for your physiology. But then even the microdosing is even less so. So you can take a lot of the arguments away that this is somehow dangerous because you're taking such a tiny amount of it it is sort of changing the the pattern of use in a way. So people, instead of taking maybe once a month a big dose, they might take microdoses of LSD and psilocybin every few days, which does apparently have a bit of a risk uh, on your cardiovascular uh, system because, I mean, you're activating your serotonin yeah, uh, receptors, sure. which are also in your heart. So that might might be risky, but we don't really know at this point. It just hasn't really been... Like right, long-term studies on this, but
1: uh, versus it's also four,
2: showing,
1: yeah. yeah, versus four espresso shots in the morning to get going. I mean, there's still going to be. Yeah, we can look at caffeine. We can look at yeah, alcohol. Yeah. You know, yeah. again, everything has to be analyzed. Even I say because I'm actually speaking. Uh, I'm doing a virtual presentation next month for the Whole Plant Expo. And my subject is cannabis is food. And I'm Mm. approaching this perspective of, you know, more of the the, the whole plant nutrients, uh, compounds from the flavonoids to the terpenoids to the, you know, polyphenols. Everything has a benefit to our system, even if they're in small amounts. And it's just interesting, you know, I definitely wanted to check out. I might still this weekend, as you mentioned, that psychedelic conference. It looks to be amazing. It reminds me a lot of the early ICRS conference. Conferences, which I'm a happy to, to say I'm a member of the International Cannabinoid Research Society, where you get the scientists, you get the real innovators, you know, the tried and true people speaking and educating. It's really, it looks like a great conference. We're going to have this link up there. Um, I'm going to share it on my social media even before this goes live this weekend. Um, I think it's, again, another good conference with a gr- great panel of speakers, you know.
2: I mean, that was my, I mean, I came to Amsterdam 2012 and they happened to have a conference uh, that year as well. And I mean, it was in a church, which was also great to have a psychedelic science conference in a church. And it was like the first lecture was about entheogens. And at that point, I never even heard the term entheogen, So it was right. a mind, mind opening into this whole psychedelic renaissance
1: that's going on. It is quite a renaissance and it's amazing. And and people say, well, what about the dangers? I said, even with raw juicing cannabis, there's some preliminary research suggesting maybe some stress in the kidneys a little bit. You know, we don't these are things that all need to be researched. I proudly helped to bring C B D to the marketplace in the United States about six years ago, plus years ago, but I was with a company that was there in order to sell their extract. And I was there as a doctor trying to explain it from a health professional perspective. And I kept saying, you know, you don't need so much. You don't need a big glob. You don't need a thousand milligrams to start with. I believe go low, go slow was that mentality we started early on from a place of integrity. But the reality is, is just now recently came out with a study, I think last month that I want to do five, six years ago, which was how about if you did low dose CBD cannabidiol every day, we're talking only five milligrams but as a preventative, or as part of right. a wellness program, or supplement, you know, do you need the you know thousand milligram tinctures and drops, or and all these concentrates, or can you just get that little bit every day, like your vitamins, like your minerals, like your omegas, like your right. nutrients? And the results showed very positively. But people back then, five six years ago, weren't interested. They weren't interested in the wellness. They wanted to treat epilepsy. They wanted to treat MS. When they look at major disease issues. That's not always the way these, these plants or these fungi are benefiting. They're actually there to optimize and find homeostasis, I think. It's a better perspective.
2: Yeah, I mean, like, of course, it's also, I mean, economically speaking, it's more efficient to prevent a disease than start de- sort of treating it afterwards. So, I mean, like, Amen. it would be very, very interesting to look at sort of the preventive qualities of CVD and all the, Other cannabinoids and terpenoids also in a little little microdosing mix to start start taking uh, already now. I mean, like I'd, I'd be interested in doing that.
1: So well, that's something that we're working on. And me personally, it's a really interesting area. I think it's always been a supply chain issue, um, which is something that thankfully for my background in natural products and supplements, I am I recognized early on. And so I'm actually setting up some uh, greenhouses and some R&D up here in the States this, this year and into next year to try to identify the best SOPs to provide that derivative of the plant specifically available in the quantities that will be required to have that consistent dosing and, you know, and and make it more of that. You know, I look at it as the future of kale or the kale or wheatgrass or that's how I, or spinach. These are things like I'm excited about. But um, again, there's so many different things in this resurgence you know, we're going to talk a little bit more, but one thing about cannabis, cannabis is a plant, psychedelics is a category. And I always mm. keep saying that to people. They go, why isn't it just the same thing? I'm like, it's not the same when you have over a half a dozen different psychedelic compounds in a category versus one plant, which is already confusing because they call it two different things, whether it's- yeah. Th, you know, arbitrary THC levels. So,
2: although I, I'd argue, and I had the sort of experience in Canada, uh, 2018, I wrote about like, I mean, cannabis can be psychedelic in a way if you treat it that way and you yeah. have the right setting for it and you, you use it for that, then it can be very mind manifesting for in, sure. its, in its own right.
1: I say it all the time the euphoria that this that this plant can offer, uh, whether it be come from an activated, you know, THC or you know, they say act deactivated, which I wanted to say that on purpose, the decarboxylated THCA converted to THC. And I say that because. I always say that the acids are active. They just have a different form, but um, I think it's wonderful. And and we'll hopefully get more of this experience and exposure. Uh, We're going to come back a little bit after this break. We're going to talk about the the user experience and some pearls that you've taken away from that, from that research. And then we're going to make sure we, provide the link for the upcoming conference and anything else you want to share. Cause I know there's a lot more, we're going to have some more conversations. This is just the beginning part one of many. So don't get anywhere. This is doc, Rob, your host here at CanvasRadio.com. your concierge for better living. We'll be right back after this quick break.
0: The concierge for better living. will continue in a moment.
1: Hey, it's Nick Hexum from 311, and you're listening to Cannabis Confidential with Dr. Dina on CannabisRadio.com. Now I'm ready to talk.
0: the business of cannabis should be no crime. Hemp Inc. is even hot proofed by the man who run high times. Oh, yeah. Get it on Android and I and iOS today. Marijuana Llama out. Got to tend to me on crops, you know. Money don't make itself. Hemp Inc. Trends and in technology, processes, and products. We cover these areas and more on The Cutting Edge of Cannabis. Be informed from the latest initiators of new innovation. Learn about the latest breakthroughs and best practices in the cannabis and hemp industries. Better products, better infrastructure, and better sustainability. The cutting edge of cannabis. Consulted by the American Cannabis Company. Let's check back in with Doc Robb and the concierge for better living. Only on CannabisRadio.com.
1: All right, and we are back. And as always, these shows go too quickly. We're going to have to extend them to an hour long because these our guests these days are so good. And Alexi Hoopy, you're one of them. I appreciate you coming on today. And we're talking about you know something that really needs to be explained. What I'm seeing now, I don't know if you've seen it, in cannabis use, a company in Canada called StrainPrint built an app so that users can subjectively add feedback to different products different strengths different strains now we're seeing uh mind leap i believe it is um which is building a whole therapeutic guided platform um to help people understand what they're going through and what they're taking their dosing and you know journaling it, and we can get feedback. I know there's another platform that I'm working with right now that has very similar interests. It's amazing, but but researchers need that user experience, not just anecdotal, not just my studies. I went to the ICRS conference once, 400 people in the room, PhDs, researchers, and I went to the manager. I said, how many people in this room do you think use cannabis daily? He goes, maybe 10 15%. I said, he goes, what? I said, they're researchers. To them, it's just another widget, another thing to study and analyze they're not really personally invested but if you're a patient if you're a user you become personally invested in the experience and that what you're putting in your body or on your body so give me what's what's some of that quick takeaway that you've had from that user perspective and the value from that
2: i mean i sort of developed this theoretical framework in my phd to sort of look at all kinds of drugs as technologies and with any kind of technologies you know there's the designers who design the technologies there's the distributors who distribute it and then there's the end user. and with when it comes to drugs we haven't really asked the end user what do they think about them uh, We just sort of put that they are harmful and you know that you ruin your life with them. Uh, but same with policies so we don't really ask the users what do they think about the policies of when it comes to drugs. Uh, which we do with almost every other technology and policy uh, that we can think of. Uh, So, I mean, I was sort of very interested in, in indeed, sort of the user experience. So, I interviewed students here in Amsterdam about their experiences with different kinds of cognitive enhancement drugs, and also published a sort of medical cannabis patient case study with an adult ADHD patient, uh, which hasn't been done before. I mean, Finland has had medical cannabis law uh for over 10 years but there's no data on anybody there's nothing there's no research and it's not that mind-blowing to sort of just think like hey let's ask the users what do they think about this yeah issue it's it's not
1: (laughs) well and i think that people are, are their perspectives are changing now as well especially the older population i mean um I mean, it was always a drug or drug. Now it's a medicine. Wait, now is it is it recreational or is it medical? Wait, no. It, even if you want to consider it as a recreational tool, your recreation may be healing you in that sense. Yes. It may be benefiting you health-wise, and that doesn't dismiss the value of the plant however you – You personally, as a user, want to define it, the plant's still doing what it does physiologically or spiritually and so forth. I know my mom just, you know, when she was sick, terminal cancer, she never won. She wasn't a big drinker. She never did any drugs. She was very conservative. But you know what? When I gave her a small dose of THC, an edible, and she had you know that 20, 30 minutes of pain-free euphoria and giggles and laughing, I said, I don't care what you want to call it. That was medicine. That was healing for her, and it was needed as a user. Maybe she wasn't prepared to do it on her own but trusted me as a physician, as a doctor, as her son to give her the right tools, and she never argued with me again after that one experience. It was just a –
2: I mean you're re- recreating yourself as well with it. I mean you're relieving stress or you're you're doing something else that sort of gives your mind a bit of a break or you put yourself at ease. I mean that's whether that's a medical condition. I mean I don't want to medicalize everything about right. human existence either but I mean like indeed it it does I mean we have endocannabinoid system no matter whether they we're patients or not patients. <laughs>
1: exactly.
2: It does sort of work on on the same sort of level.
1: Yep. And there are studies, and I mentioned this in almost all my talks, You know that even taking oh, people that are depressed or anxious, which is very popular or common today due to the current climate of COVID, You know that, oh, yeah, you could take an SSRI, you could take an antidepressant, but what is that actually doing? It's band-aiding the problem. You're not addressing where your life, your circumstances are, internal or external, and you're not really – you're actually down-regulating your own body's production of the molecules that make you feel good. So how is that long-term benefiting you? So we have to really educate a lot more people, give them, make them more proactive, prevent diseases, and it definitely comes in part by people like yourself who are trying to do more research, getting in with the users themselves, getting first-hand experiences, and sharing that out there to as many people as will listen. And I think that's a great service that you're doing, and you know I, I'm grateful for it, and we'll continue to collaborate. I'm, I'm just connecting with you now, but I'm looking forward to continuing the conversation online and offline as well. So thank you for being on the show today, Alexi. I really appreciate your time. Thank you.
2: Or as we say in Finland, kitos and in Dutch,
1: dankjewel. Dankjewel. Yes. And uh, we're going to post, like I said, the link. It's um, really good if you're tuning in or if you, maybe it'll be recorded sessions that will probably be available afterwards. But that, um, you know, icpr2020.net is the website, and again, we'll have you back on again, I'm sure, I'm very interested, I'll share some of my work, we're going to do some stuff, it's fun great to connect you, have a great day, thank you everyone for tuning in, another great episode and uh, blessings to everyone again, thank you for all the people at Canvas Radio, thank you all the people that tune in and share this, don't forget to share this to all your social media platforms it's well worth it, and we'll connect all the links to learn more about Alexi and some of his papers and some more work he's been doing, and as always, I wish you all All the best in health and happiness. Take care and be loved.
0: The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com.